Hello, my darlings, and welcome back to another exciting adventure of Radio Wasteland, the best in paranormal talk radio. I'm your host, Chauncey Allworth. This is my co-host, Kara Kittrick. Hello. Kara, do you have any news for us today? Yes, I do. So, a pilot captured video of a cigar-shaped UFO flying over Zion National Park at an altitude of 40,000 feet. MUFON has designated this occurrence as a, quote, case of interest, a designation only given to events that have a high likelihood of being truly anomalous. The craft didn't uh, exhibit any anomalous behavior in the video, but the high altitude rules out that it could be a simple drone. Some commenters believe that it was simply another aircraft, seen at a distance and from an awkward angle, although one would think the existence of air plane transponders would make identification simple in that case. Uh, In light of the Wuhan coronavirus, which has now killed more people in China than SARS, a top World Health Organization official warned that the world is dangerously unprepared to fight pandemics, with funding for outbreak prevention grossly inadequate in almost every member country. There are currently 195 Americans in mandatory uh, quarantine due to the coronavirus and more than uh, 360 Chinese citizens. Uh, Finally, Beetlejuice, the most famous star in the constellation Orion, has been dimming lately and scientists don't know why. This could be a sign that the red giant is heading towards supernova, which could happen tomorrow or in 100,000 years. Chances are we won't live to see it, but if we do, it wouldn't be the first time a famous star disappeared. In ancient times, the night sky is known to have looked different from today, with a different north star and some slightly changed constellations. In 1604, a supernova was observed for several weeks, shining brighter than almost everything else in the night sky. Back to you, Chauncey. All right. Uh, You know, that first one, the cigar-shaped UFOs, I find... uh... I don't know cigar shape in general. Uh, when that when that foreign uh, body from a different solar system came passing through from the top just about a year ago, uh, its oh, yeah. shape automatically assumed for me extraterrestrial. Anything that flies <laughs> wings for me is uh, you know possibly extraterrestrial. You know. Well, what about helicopters? They kind of got wings. They got the spinny thing. I mean, you know, without any sort yeah, of obvious, okay. obvious wind. No, I, I know what you mean. Situation, you know. To be fair, when I watched the video, uh, it looked to me like it could be another aircraft. Because, you know, if you see an aircraft from a distance, of, you know, in a side-on view, you don't see the wing jutting out. You just, you basically just see a tube. Because that's kind of what they, the airplane is. It's a tube with wings. The thing that makes that seem weird to me is that airplanes, like I said, have transponders so that they, you know, they're sending out codes so that people know, oh, hey, that's an airplane. Maybe it was deactivated for some weird reason. Maybe it was some secret military secret. aircraft. Or maybe it was a cigar-shaped UFO. Uh, it looked a lot like sort of the tic-tac sighting. Well, as my wife likes to remind me, an airplane is more than just a cigar-shaped object with wings. It's also full of souls that have no control over their own destinies for the remainder of the flight. And then and then I'm glad you pointed out that uh, coronavirus has affected more people than SARS at this point, because I have been wondering mm-hmm. if this is... Yeah, how does this compare to earlier 
Yeah, is it hype? You know, I mean, we know that our media system is just kind of hyping us and uh, enjoying it involvement in the clicks, you know. So I'm wondering how much of this is hype. As far as I can understand, and I've, I've read a lot about this, it is hype, frankly. But that doesn't mean there isn't something there. Like, literally everything that is in the news is hype because the news apparatus blows things out of proportion just you know, as a matter of course, you can, basically any story you read is presented as 50% more interesting than it actually is. Sure, it's the nature of the beast. But th this is, it's still kind of a big deal. I mean, I mean, it's killed a lot of people, and this is with our best preventive efforts. I, I imagine, you know, a year will go by and every, everyone will have forgotten this, this has happened, except obviously the people who lost loved ones. But I think it kind of underscores how easy it would be for a really deadly virus that is infectious to the same degree to yeah. spread. <laughs> well, you know Which, that that first year that the swine flu was going around? Mm -hmm. You remember this? Yeah. My wife and daughter got the swine flu. Oh, really? And they were actually up in bed for like two weeks, uh, you know, maybe three weeks. They were they were all kinds of messed up. But at no yeah. point was it like a near-death situation. Right. I don't know that the mortality rate is that high. But there was an Ebola scare a few, a few years ago, and Ebola will kill you, man. Right. Oh, it, yeah. The, everybody. It's just not as infectious. Uh because as far as I know, it's, it's not airborne. It transmits through fluids. But it, it really, it only takes one airborne deadly virus, like septicemic plague in the, the 15th century, to kill a lot of people if an outbreak right, or something even like that, that they appeared. That might not have been airborne. That plague they thought might not have been airborne, that it was transferred by fleas, right? No, no, I, I, I know, but uh, there are varieties of the Black Death that are, that are airborne. It, yeah. It can, it can, there are various varieties. It can present as something that gets into your lungs and then, and then you cough up the... Man, diseases the, the are just terrifying. Or whatever. Diseases are terrifying. That's, just the whole, uh, it just makes me think of body horror. It makes me think of just all sorts of... Uh, things I that make me uncomfortable. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And then uh, what? Okay. <laughs> so if if Beetlejuice blows up, let's see. We got this uh, this break coming up. So if Beetlejuice blows up, are we gonna get killed? No. No, no it's no, not that close. No. We're just gonna see the light. It, it's not that close, but it it will be pretty bizarre for a little while. There are some stars that are, are nearby that are thought to be on the verge of supernova that would be visible during the day if they were to go supernova. As far as I know, there are other stars that if they were to go supernova would kill us instantly. Awesome. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. Are there stars close enough that would kill us? Is that what you just I, said? I think so. I didn't actually research that particular point. For yeah, this, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Who wants to really know? It, it's not really. <laughs> the, the thing is, though, you know, gamma ray bursts? Right. Those are basically uh, a beam that's sent out by a star. They're, um, they're basically the highest energy events in the universe. 
and that beam is so thin we can't necessarily see it from a distance. So if a rotating star just happened to rotate the beam so that it intersects with planet Earth, our atmosphere would just ionize to nothing just right, immediately, right. and we would never see it coming, and that could happen at literally any time. So, But the know, odds of that are truly astronomically low. <laughs> literally astronomically right. low, yes. We're coming up on break here, Kara, and uh, tonight's guest is Ryan Gable, so if you're out there listening, stick around. You don't want to miss out on that. We're talking about uh, you know, artificial intelligence and basically its effect on our future. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest, Ryan Gable. We're going to be talking about the technological elixir invoking artificial intelligence and understanding the arcana of mysticism. Um, You know, I think a great way to start here is maybe to have you break down what that title means. Yeah, there's a lot of information in that title alone, and I I tried to create one that was suitable for the material in the book. It starts out, in the first couple of chapters of talking about philosophy and technology and things that relate to more spiritual elements, if you will, uh, not taking a specific stance on a viewpoint or a belief system. And from there, looking at basically the human soul and the human spirit, uh, what makes us us, and expanding on that into the proliferation of technology in general, uh, various forms of technology. We think of computers, we think of phones, tablets, things like that, but there are other things that are classified as technology that we might not really consider. Uh, and so I try to break the, uh, the black and white polarization between what we consider to be technology for those people who don't like technology, yet utilize it anyway, and for those who are staunch supporters of technology and love every piece of technology and don't consider the ramifications uh, of some of those uh, negative elements of technology. So in trying to provide a balanced approach like that, we go into uh, uh, various key elements of technological development like artificial intelligence. Uh, From artificial intelligence, the book starts to move into a more metaphysical realm Uh, in a more occult realm, occult meaning hidden, and we start to utilize symbolism, anthropology, theology, uh, even sociology to a degree, to analyze um, the entertainment industry as a whole and the promotion of technology through the entertainment industry, through popular music and things like that. And then the book becomes almost paranormal as it takes us from the entertainment industry into a little bit of demonology, uh, ufology, and this stuff called black goo, which you can find all throughout movies, television, music videos, uh, what I would call a possessive force. Some people say black goo is a physical substance, like an oil. Uh, Other people say it's merely a metaphor. Whatever it is, I've just documented the noticeable observations of black goo in the book, as it relates to technology, uh, almost as a called a possessive force, but almost as a form of uh, um, living material. Uh, I've talked to some people who claim that it, it, it's like a living you know, a creature almost, this black goo substance. And when you're thinking black goo, it's literally like a black oil. And you see this constantly in movies and TV. If you pay attention, it's everywhere. Kids shows, 
uh, you know, music videos. It's all over the place. Uh, one of the biggest examples is probably the commercial for Lady Gaga's perfume called Fame. The entire thing is about black goo. So we look at that, and then the book concludes with a section on ufology um, and the opening of portals, uh, looking into Aleister Crowley, Jack Parsons, JPL, and some stuff like that. So it, it really covers a wide range of subjects all under that title of the technological elixir, which basically means the elixir of life and people that believe that technology could be used to extend life indefinitely. Now, when you say that you're not sure if the goo is a real thing or if it's a metaphor, um, you know, how do you know that it even is? That it is a, what exactly? A thing. Well, the, the, the thing is, I see, I mean, we see this in, uh, I could name movies and videos and things like this all night, but I mean, from Lady Gaga in, the, in pop music, in the music industry, to something, you know, as, as iconic as Venom, in the in the in the Spider-Man universe, Venom is essentially black goo. Um, to uh, kids shows where black goo often represents pollution, uh, it, and in that case, it's more metaphoric. Um, in other cases, it's like a substance that moves like venom. It has a consciousness. Uh, the reason that I can't really pinpoint is because I've t I talked to a scientist in Germany who's kind of known as the black goo guy. Uh, he he claims to have actually seen black goo in person. And some people have talked about how there are deposits of this stuff in uh, South America, uh, that there are these big, like, black oil, black goo deposits. So some people think it's more like oil, like the earth. It's just regular oil. Uh, and other people think maybe it's, um, it's some kind of artificial substance from somewhere else, uh, extraterrestrial in the sense that it's not from here. I just leave the door open for anything because I, I don't like to be too definitive to try to prove a point because then I, I think I can, I can lose out on other perspectives if I do that. So in my writing, I try to just leave information for the reader to decipher for themselves. Yeah, so, you know, you, you write about artificial intelligence and, you know, I think the reoccurring question that people really have. And, uh, you know, a lot of big names have chimed in on this. Some said we should fear artificial intelligence and, and others have said that, uh, we don't have anything to worry about. Um, should we fear artificial intelligence? I think I, a very healthy dose of fear to some degree is probably acceptable because it allows us to be cautious and aware of the advancements of technology but like anything, whether it's a gun, a hammer, a knife, it's really the, the, the intention of the wielder, the user, that determines what it's going to be used for. So when I have Elon Musk with his Neuralink system offering to sell basically microchips to the population to put a, a Bluetooth device essentially on your ear, drill a hole into your skull, and then plug this thing into your brain tissue, and this is the same guy who has a plan with other companies like Boeing and uh, Facebook and, and Google uh, to launch with his SpaceX uh, company uh, satellites, tens of thousands of satellites, to create basically a 24-hour-a-day internet grid over the whole Earth. So that's called Starlink. And I start looking at things like that, and I think, well, you know, this guy has major aspirations to connect all brains, then connect all, basically, uh, connecting all these satellites to create this internet system, 
I just start speculating and thinking, connect all the brains, then connect the brains to this, basically this net of satellites, a sky net of satellites, for basically create the creation of full spectrum dominance. I say basically because I really don't know what's going on. It just looks like and it seems like this is a very dangerous thing. But on the other side, we address, the, address this in the book, there are obviously beneficial elements to artificial intelligence. There are people that d- develop algorithms and there are people that develop, um, you know, like the people that develop the, the mathematics and the coding for just basic forms of uh, AI assistance. And I don't think those people have some nefarious agenda. They want to enslave people. They want to hurt people. But that technology could then be used by bigger companies to do just that. I mean, look what we've seen with Google and with Amazon with their voice assistants. Uh, the Apple voice assistant Siri is a result of a uh, a military project uh, called um, the Cognitive Assistant that Learns and Organizes, Calo, uh, that was organized and, and uh, produced, that was funded through the Department of Defense and through DARPA and all of them. And so the question that I ask in the book, and, and I think other people could ask this question too, it's obvious, we're supposed to trust that billions of dollars were spent by the Defense Department and by multi-billion dollar international corporations so that our lives are made easier by being able to search something with our voice. I just don't think that that's the motivation behind why they develop those things. So we look at all of that in the book, and that's what I do on my show, The Secret Teachings, too. I personally don't like the proliferation, which seems to be, for the most part, unchecked in terms of the development of AI. And we've seen MIT scientists say, we really don't know what we've created, but we're going to keep building it anyway, which seems kind of dangerous and irresponsible to me. But that's me. What do I know? So my perspective is, I don't like it. It seems very dangerous to me, and I don't see as much of a benefit to it. But there are some benefits, and objectively speaking, we need to acknowledge those and not look at this as a polarizing issue in my view. It's either good or bad. I, I don't buy that. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, that it makes sense that it's like any other weapon. It's really the hands of who's holding it. You know, I think the one extra fear factor would be um, how ev- easy of a mass destruction weapon are we creating? You know, how easy and... and um, accessible is it uh you know so i think that's where the real fear comes down it's like a nuclear weapon i'm not going to build one in my backyard but as a technologically advanced kid i might build ai in the future uh all right we are coming up on our break here you listen to our guest uh ryan gable uh we are talking about the technological elixir invoking artificial intelligence and understanding the arcana of mysticism come on back All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest, Ryan Gable. We are talking about AI and mysticism and the connection with humans in general. You know, I have to ask, you know, how many steps away technologically are we really from being able to download ourselves onto a computer? 
You know, it's like uh, it's in science fiction. It's talked about all the time. Am I the first generation that's going to live forever? You know, how many steps away are we from that realistically? Uh, that's a really great question that I, I rhetorically ask myself, too. And I think that there are different ways in which we could ask it and interpret the question itself. One of the ways I interpret that question is by looking at the way we utilize social media and the way that we use technology today, whether it is a computer or a phone, the way that we upload our information already as a means of social interaction, as a means of communication, I believe is a huge step in uploading ourselves into these systems already. It's obviously different than uploading what people say is consciousness, which we explore in the technological Elixir book. It's, it's not something you can upload. It's, it's not something tangible you can put into a computer, uh, at least philosophically speaking, uh, metaphysically speaking. But you can put the data and the patterns of the personality into a computer, how people buy things, how people interact, the, the stimuli that drives uh, action. And there are systems at, um, I mean, major universities like Purdue University has a huge uh, computer system where they feed in all this real-world data from our digital interactions. And then with that data, they use algorithms and what I imagine is some form of artificial intelligence in this process to determine what people are going to do in these, they call it a real-world simulation, in a simulation so that they can then use artificial stimuli drive this simulation, see where it goes naturally, and then start it over again with real-world information and try to stimulate the right things to move society forward in their simulations in the direction that they choose. And I'm not sure what direction they're choosing, but if you think about it from that point of view, with all the information we've uploaded already, uh, with Amazon saying, hey, we can send you packages before you order them, we know what you're going to do. Uh, with cameras on your computer, they watch your eyes. They know how, you know, if your heart starts beating more, more uh, uh, quicker, more rapidly, um, your pupils dilate. If you show interest in a product, they, they, they track where your mouse goes on the screen. Uh, banks do that as well. That was in the New York Times a few months ago. So they know what you're going to do when you're going to do it and before you are going to do it, just based on pattern recognition and algorithms. And that's just from the information we've we've uploaded. Beyond that, Elon Musk, like we were discussing in the last segment, has taken that a step further into uh, more of, of an integration into the merging of man and machine physically. But we've also seen that for a long time, too, because in the book we go through a variety of steps. It's the word you use, too, a variety of steps where we have handheld devices. We, we can hold them. We can always put those down and walk away from them, though. Then we have wearable devices, you know, like your, your smart watch. You know, people have like Bluetooth headphones that hang on their neck so they can listen to music and things like that. And then you have things that are more attachable to the body. Uh, some people are, this is a thing now, I think at some universities, people are getting um, like LED lights embedded under their skin. Uh, microchips. Yeah. And yeah, that just sounds weird. And there's no benefit to it except like, hey, check this out. I've got, you know, a red light under my under my skin. Um, so right. you have things like that and then also bio stamps, which are electronic tattoos. Beyond that, then you start getting into the more direct forms of modification of the body or alteration of the body, like the microchip and Neuralink. And then the fifth step in that process that I go into um, 
in the Technological Elixir book is basically replacing organic life with synthetic life. So like in Star Wars where, you know, Anakin gets uh, his legs cut off and you replace them with, you know, with, with mechanics. Uh, Luke gets his hand cut off, you replace it with mechanics. But, but, but we're looking at doing that, yes, for artificial organs and 3D printing. And there's a ben- great benefit there. But then you're going to, was a video game, was it called um, Deuce X or something, where they got like this, this division between people that want to become machine and people that don't want to become machine and people that are kind of in the middle. So it creates this rift in society. I forget the name of the game. But we, we've already, in a way, reached that point where there are major divides between people who want to incorporate themselves into these machines that think it's fun and they're going to live forever what you alluded to and people like myself who I just, I want to live as simply as possible and limit my interaction with these kinds of things. So whether or not we get to that point, I think it's going to come about, I think it's going to come about without us realizing it to answer your question. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've talked to people about that and tried to make it clear that, you know, it would take a very finite set of situations. I think for the robot apocalypse to happen or whatever like that, that really we're going to see a mutual evolution moving forward together where uh, the human and the machine blur and we're not really sure who's what anymore. Yeah, and I, th- I think all those steps come together simultaneously because we, we've got handhelds and we've got wearable devices and fusible devices and injectable devices. And some people are getting 3D printed organs already. All that's happening at the same time while we work with computers and phones and things like this to upload our information. So it's all happening at once. And it, I don't think it'll be a light switch that comes on like a movie with an orchestra playing behind it. It's not going to be like um, iRobot or AI, that movie with Robin Williams. It's going to be a slow integration process, a slow incrementalism that whether or not you consider it in any capacity to be some kind of Far East agenda, it'll come about as a result of what you could consider to be just a natural technological evolution, whether that's being directed by madmen, you know, competent scientists, or a little bit of both. What do we think the future of religion is going to look like in that situation? Of course, we're going to have extremists that want nothing to do with it, but we're also going to have people adapt to it. Yeah, well, there's already a, I think it's in Japan, there's a Buddhist robot preacher. It's a robot that acts as a preacher. Um, there, there are, um, there's actually a, a, a religion of artificial intelligence, which was founded by a former... Uh, Silicon Valley guy. Uh, it's a, it's literally like a church of AI where they worship AI as a god. Um, and I don't know how many people take it to that extreme, but there are some, I mean, I, I know just random people that I've met in my life that I've made as acquaintances, and um, I talk to them about this kind of thing just in passing in a conversation. And, and some of them are very, very dead serious. Like, they want that. Like, they think that artificial intelligence is, is not only a good thing, but that it's, that it's like, it's godlike. And they're not, they're not necessarily, like, out of their minds. They're just like, no, this is a great thing. Because I think people see it as the next step in human evolution or the next step in human progress, not 
to use a Darwinian term necessarily. And, and that's where I stop. I don't see it necessarily as the next step in human progress. I, I see it as a forced interjection in human progress, being controlled by companies and individuals who have ulterior motives and agendas in a way that the, the inevitable, I, I think, outcome is, is literally full-spectrum dominance, complete control of everything through machines and computers, and that process is going to be carried out by convincing us uh, in a colloquial way, in a friendly way, that this is all for convenience, it's all beneficial, just like with the voice assistants spending billions of dollars, tech companies, defense department, just so that we can ask, hey, Siri, what movies are on tonight and what time do they start? They're not spending that kind of money to make our life easier. 5G isn't going up so that we can download a movie faster. That's right. just what it's being sold on. There's obviously, obviously some other motivation, ulterior motive. And if that's what they're selling it to us on, I imagine that the ulterior motive is not that great. Yeah, you made the comparison to social media, and obviously social media was pulling in all of our our information, and we were volunteering it all up. And now that we know, we still do because we like the results of it. So, so you're right. You know, uh, Arthur C. Clarke wrote a short story that <clears throat> basically a guy built a machine that analyzed all. Uh, pop songs ever written throughout history and as to why they were so great and and memorable and he ended up having this machine write a pop song but unfortunately when people found him he was in a catatonic state and anybody who put on the headphones and listened to it automatically couldn't stop but humming it over and over in their head because it was just too catchy all right you're listening to greg bishop here on radio wasteland come on back All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. We have been talking about uh, Ryan Gable's new book, The Technological Elixir, basically talking about transhumanism and where all this is going. You know, the, the, the question that we didn't start with that maybe we should have is, you know, what got you here? You know, what got you interested in this? Yeah, that's a question that I've, I've tried to figure out how to answer over the years. I, uh, I went to film school and I had no intention of getting into radio. Uh, some people think since I went to film school, that's how I got into it, like through broadcasting school. But it wasn't. I actually just I I was friends with a few people. And at the time, I was really interested in astronomy, uh, a little astrology and physics and some stuff like that. And I started just I was interested in learning. So I just started buying books at the bookstore and I would come to school and I was interested in talking about what I was learning. So I would talk to people. Someone just asked me one day about my interests and I became friends with them and they said, you know, I know this guy you really need to, you know, be introduced to. So they took me and they introduced me to him and he knew a lot of the things that I knew and just specialized area of interest. And so we, um, we ended up in a documentary class and we decided to do a documentary on uh, social engineering, uh, the Federal Reserve and uh, September 11th. So we did those three topics and we did them at a radio station where this guy had a volunteer show. The long story short, I went in there, we did the show, we did the documentary, and he invited me to co-host. Um, 
fast forward again kind of towards the end and he he actually passed away so I took over the show and once I took over the show I had to really find I'm thinking like two hours a week on Sunday how am I going to do this by myself so I really had to start reading and learning and I guess over the last 10 years it's led me uh, in the last five to six to doing this professionally and uh, everything else is just history. Yeah, that's wild. So there was no, you know, uh, no, no fire that led you to the, the, uh, transhumanism, you know, uh, you know, what, what pushed you in that direction? No one's ever asked me that before. And I think the major reason that I became interested in that was because I was always aware of even, even when I was in high school, I remember seeing a, a news report on television one time about cell phones and about how if you want your cell phone to be uh, more secure when you're not using it, take the battery out of it. I remember that in school. And then I remember we had to do like a current event one time in English class as a little writing assignment. And I remember I picked that. And this was in like 11th grade. And... Uh, I picked that, and the teacher actually wrote me up on it and said, that's not true. Your phone doesn't listen to you. I don't know where you heard that or made that up from. And I, I guess that just always stuck with me, and I just thought, no, I saw that. <laughs> I remember seeing that. I read about it. I looked it up, and I wrote this, and you're telling me I'm wrong. So that kind of lit the fire initially for me. I just got tired of being told I was wrong for the, with those kinds of things when I had read about them when I had, you know, and an, some piece of article of evidence about it, and people still said, no, you're wrong. So I guess that kind of lit the fire, and then through, you know, your phones and computers and cameras and all the invasiveness of that, I, I think I was led to AI as another element to those technological uh, things. Yeah, it seems like a, a logical uh, step down there. You know, speaking of of phones and AI technology, transhumanism, you know, um, one thing that I kind of fear for the future of, of capitalism on the whole, you know, uh, not that I'm not that I'm opposed. I'm not touting any uh, <clears throat> political beliefs here, but um, is, is classism, you know. And so it seems to me like, you know, we're living in a day and age where, you know, classism is going on on some level with with capitalism because you get a nicer phone you have some nicer cars and stuff like that you know um have you put any thought into the classism of the future let's say i become something but the next something is going to be better than i am yeah does that make sense yeah it makes sense it, it definitely makes sense uh in terms of looking at it from um you know, using that word capitalism, and I, I don't necessarily have a political stance, although I, I'm much more in favor of capitalism than socialism. But uh, oh, me too, me too. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine I imagined you were, uh, but you know, I, I I think that that is a really dangerous thing, and I'm, that's a really great point because we're talking about a future where you don't just buy, you know, a, a new house, whether you earn that money legitimately or you earn that money you know, through theft or however you got there. You don't just buy a new house and a nice car, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You buy a new you. You, right. you. you become literally, physically, intellectually more superior to others because of your access to these technological things, along with 
uh, genetic, uh, you could call them enhancements, but for some people that are going to have access to this and have the money for it, it would be genetic enhancements, meaning that it's making you quote unquote better. So in that case, yes, you would have, I mean, they're already talking about designer babies where you can choose your child's eye color and hair color and whether they're going to be tall and what sports and music they're going to be good at. That to me is a very, very unhuman, uh, it, to me that's anti-human and that's anti-nature and I'm not a religious or a spiritual person per se. I'm just going to use the word in, in, in context with this conversation. Uh, it's anti-God. It's anti-everything, as far as I'm concerned, that is real and substantial and organic and good. It, it, it takes control of nature and subjects nature to the laws, not of God and of, of the universe, if you will. It subjects nature to the law and to the rule of man and to whatever his whims are. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think about that one actually quite a bit because society seems to have had this um, attitude uh, here lately that because we've decided it it's now so and uh this is going to be a volatile thing i'm saying so i'm going to pass over real quick and and nullify it on some level but uh you know with uh racism and gender issues and everything in our society everybody wants to have the attitude of we all need to just get better and and cope with this we've all made this decision now this is going to happen and and we we're all be just fine and um you know a lot of us are just fine but evolution happens at a slower than glacial pace <laughs> you know and People change slowly. We all have grandparents. How much did they change before they died? The biggest change was the death, you know, and uh, generational jumps like that, you know. So it's like this slow change. Now I'm forgetting what direction I was going with on this one because I was because I was getting so extra cautious about <laughs> about the topic that I was hitting on, but. Um, is it the change? Oh, yeah, this is what I was going to say. I often make the comparison that, like, if you take a dog, you take a wolf and you bring it in the house, it doesn't become a dog. Is that wolf capable of being happy in the house? It's like uh, humans for at least 150,000 years that we know of in our current form have basically stood on the side of a stream naked in the sun eating fish you know it's like are we capable of being happy if we're not doing that you know how hardwired are we to do this and is that kind of what you're saying it's like uh like are we offset because prometheus gave us fire too early i don't know i'm going off on a tangent there i think no i know what you're saying it, it sounds like what, there's a quote I read, and I don't have the, the thing memorized. It's something to the effect. Of, I think it was. Um, it, I think it was either Alan Watts or Manley Hall. I'd have to look it up. But it's technology has provided us with more efficient ways of moving backwards, and that's what it really seems. Because in, in the in the the technological elixir book, uh, I, we also looked at. And there are so many factors to this. I I'm, I'm fully aware that things with food and water environment toxins, things like that, affect IQ and attention span. But one of the major things that affects attention span and IQ is also the proliferation of screen time. 
And this is just proven over and over and over and over again in studies with babies, with toddlers, with younger kids, teenagers, adults, the elderly. The more time you spend in front of a screen, it literally leads to melancholy. It, it leads to depression. It leads to loneliness. Call it social media. It's anti-social media. It provides you with a safe platform, a safe space where you can delete people, you can block people, you can yell at somebody, run away, you can put everything in capital letters. There's no repercussions to your actions unless you do something that's outside of the uh, the acceptable standards of Facebook, which they'll change at a, at a moment's notice for political correctness and other political controls. But it's a safe place, and that's what these platforms provide us with. So as a result of that, we don't connect with each other as much in social interactions, it becomes harder to maintain friendships or even obtain friendships. It makes it more difficult to obtain any kind of relationship. Uh, and because of that, it seems like there's a slow social degression as well. And, and funny enough, I looked up that term, um, like, we, like we talk about regression uh, or, uh, or the advancement um, like biologically, uh, like an evolution. And there, the, I don't think scientists, when I look this up, they, they don't actually have a have a word for that kind of regression. So it's like basically a bi a biological regression, a social regression. It, it, it's 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 essentially taking what you explain the human element, rewiring it, and expecting it to survive in concrete and machines. And that that doesn't necessarily come from the standpoint of a hippie who thinks that you should go. Not that hippies are bad people. I'm more of a hippie than anything myself. But that you should, you should, you should be placed back into a more natural environment. I mean, you go out into the woods, and I feel connected when I do that. I mean, I I feel like I belong in those kinds of settings, as opposed to between a couple of walls. And uh, yeah, I I I totally agree. Um, you know, one thing to back that up. I read this article that. Uh, the it was the science of basically uh, Alzheimer's and um, dementia, and that for years we've been told to do um, crossword puzzles and stuff like that. And uh, this article was basically saying the best thing you can do for your brain to fight off dementia and Alzheimer's is to go running, because what that really does is use your brain for what it was built for to basically track your balance track what's going on around you and and actually utilize your brain for what it was built for because it sure as heck was not built to do crossword puzzles <laughs> yeah that's essentially that's essentially i mean that's a simple way of saying it that's essentially what we're getting at um mm. and and i think there's a healthy balance between the two objectively speaking i think that i mean if it wasn't for technology define it any way you want we wouldn't be having this conversation right now, right? We wouldn't have an internet connection. We wouldn't have computers. We would, but see, that's again, the, there are different. We probably might've both died of polio. Precisely. We might've both died of polio. I mean, and, and there's another thing that's interesting. You say that because we talk about modern medicine and a lot of people attribute like modern health to modern medicine. And that's not even necessarily accurate because a lot of modern health is a result of better hygiene in the 20th century. So in terms of technology, it's not necessarily that black and white, like we said right. earlier. Yeah, I, I read an art, another article that basically said that the number one invention in all time that saved the most amount of lives, the number one human invention of all time, saved the most amount of lives, was refrigeration. 
Yeah, I, I think I read the same thing or something similar. Yeah. Uh, it was so uh, yeah. It's, it's wonder. If it's interesting what we take for granted. I guess. <laughs> I, I got the uh, the quotation uh, individual wrong. It was Aldous Huxley who said that technological progress has merely provided us with a more efficient means of going backwards. I think that sums it up very well. I do too. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. It's uh, it's been a lot of fun, and it's a topic that we haven't really had on before. So, uh, you know, it was, it was uh, just really. I don't know. Fun topic to talk about. Something that I haven't had a chance to dig into. Um, actually, before this, I did have one final question that I wanted to ask you. And that is, do you find this topic... The reason why I thought this topic was interesting is because we all have consciousness. We all involve ourselves with technology. Do you find that this is a difficult topic sometimes to get across people because they all feel like they're an expert? In terms of technology? In terms of living in it. Uh, consciousness and and consciousness in general can be a very difficult topic to discuss with people because we all have it and we all have our opinions on it and our own take on it. Yeah, certainly that's why I don't like to really try to prove something in terms of my overall ideology and view because there are always those other people who have views that I might not necessarily see as something I can understand and, and, and take on, but I can see what they're saying. So right. yeah. And, and, and I think the way to answer that question is to say that I'm not really trying to, to get to somebody to make, to make a point. I, I say that on my radio show, I'm not really trying to make a point per se. I'm just here to provide you with patterns, observation, and objective analysis of that information Sometimes with information and data, it leads us to a conclusion, and sometimes it just leads us to more information, and it's really up for individuals to make their mind up and to determine what they want to believe. The reality is, even though I don't personally, um, I don't personally speak to this kind of ideology, but I know that there are people that listen to my radio show because what I say, they hear little segments of it, and it confirms their bias. And there are other people that listen who don't want to listen because they hear one little segment where they don't like what I said, so they send me a, me a mean email, and they tell me I'm wrong. But they didn't hear the thing in context. So really, the person who agrees might think they agree with everything, but if they kept listening, they wouldn't agree with everything. And people that thought that they disagreed with everything, if they kept listening, they'd realize, oh, I actually agree with that. And it happens quite a lot. So again, to answer your question, it's just, presenting information uh, a friend of mine says i provide you decide and that's really all i'm trying to do all right welcome back to radio wasteland and our guest ryan gable we are talking about uh Basically, artificial intelligence and the hu future of humanity and machinery, transhumanism, and uh, and our goals to get there, or our motivations to get there. You know, how much of this do you think is 
in in the world of of people controlling other people and utilizing these things how much of a long-term plan do you think is premeditated or do you think this is a slippery slope that we're all just walking down or or do you think there is an execution here of a plan well i i look at that in the book as well the technological elixir and i talk about it a lot on my radio show and since i'm open to looking at so many avenues and not trying to really prove a point i think that we can look at this as a very, very wide-ranging spectrum where on one end you just have college kids, like there are some college kids in Canada. I think they were in, um, I want to say Toronto or I think somewhere around that area of Canada, and they developed a system by which they could listen to your voice and then they could mirror that voice and then they could replay it back, but then they could use that as a way to create a voice that's your voice, but then to say anything. And these are just college kids who invented this. Same thing right. at UC Berkeley. Some kids came up with uh, neural dust, smart dust. You could just type that in UC Berkeley smart dust. It'll come up a major university publication. So just some kids made that. But that stuff is also the kind of stuff that will be looked at by the military and by private companies. And they'll come in and buy it up buy the rights to it, buy the patents, or they'll give these people a lot of money and then they'll disappear into the, into the woodwork of these, you know, whether it's the military, defense contractors, you know, corporations, whatever. So that's on one end of the spectrum. Just some kids who thought, like, I got a great idea. You know, they're engineers. They develop something, makes them a lot of money. They get a great job, and then they're brought into that system. On the other end of the spectrum, you have people like Elon Musk, I thought it was interesting that um, Werner von Braun, the chief, basically the head who developed everything that NASA is, everything that NASA is today, uh, today and was, uh, Werner von Braun wrote a book called Project Mars, A Technical Tale. And he talked about going to Mars, call, you know, there was like a colony of people on Mars, like aliens, and they were led by this uh, being, if I, if I remember this correctly, uh, they were led by this being named uh, Elon. And so from the book, you get this idea of beware of the Elon, because you couldn't, you couldn't trust Elon. Well, this is the Elon Musk who wants to go to Mars, and this is the Elon who wants to connect our brains and wants to literally put a, a, a net of satellites in the sky, a literal Skynet system with his Starlink program. And he comes off as like, yeah, you built, you know, I built a flamethrower, you know, I've got this gothic girlfriend, I'm cool, I'm just like you, I sweat a lot, I'm really nervous on stage, I'm just a regular guy like you. And he, and he probably is, but he's also made right. these comments like, with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. So he clearly knows how dangerous it is. He knows that this is a, a double-edged sword, to say the very least. But like those people at MIT who have said, we know, we know that this is dangerous, but we just we can't stop. We have to keep developing this. So I started to think maybe there's a more otherworldly force involved, kind of like the Borg from Star Trek, just as a reference point, and that there are perhaps entities or forces working through people like Elon Musk. And uh, I mean, people like him and some of these other Silicon Valley people, there's no doubt that these guys, some of them probably already have microchips and wires in their brain. And if they don't have that, a lot of them, like, uh, I think it's Bezos, who's, who's very well known for just taking handfuls of supplements and all these various experimental drugs and products to try to extend 
his life and life life quality and things like that. Um, it, it might have been Bezos. It might have been somebody else. So a lot of these guys, I think, on some hardcore drugs. Uh, and traditionally speaking, in the world of the par- in the paranormal and in demonology, when people are taking a lot of drugs or they're drinking a lot of alcohol, that opens the door for what we call possession, what other people call walk-ins. So they become more susceptible to spiritual influences. And so I just talked about that in the book, that perhaps these people are under the influence of some demonic force, alien force, whatever you want to call it, and that's driving this forward. That's why people like Elon, they recognize the danger, but it's almost like they've got a, you know, they've got a gun to their head. Like the cops are called, the cops show up, the guy's got a gun behind the door and the cop says, everything okay? And you're like, yeah, yeah, everything's okay. And you're trying to, you know, nudge your head to the left showing the others. He's got a gun behind the door. And that's, it kind of feels like that from some of these guys. They get on stage, they're sweating, they just look burned out or they look like their, their brains, their, everything's fried. And they're like, yeah, we, we built this. We got we to gotta keep doing it. We have to keep building it. We don't know how to stop. It's like they're almost like they're being controlled. So I think the spectrum is as wide as some college kids to something that's other dimensional. And that's why this system is just like global, worldwide. And it seems to be just like in politics when a policy is introduced or a, a bill is introduced in one state and it's passed and it sets a precedent. Suddenly, six other states have the same bill. And then they pass it, too. And I think that's very similar to what's happening in technology. It's like, well, we developed this. Some other people, you know, it, it does have that, you know, space race feel to it, that AI race, whoever can get there first. So it's about economics and money and building your portfolio and your company and your job. And that's part of the spectrum, too. But I, I really think to answer your question, it goes from the college kids to other dimensional entities and perhaps the spectrum's even bigger and larger than that anything i can imagine that's just how i see it yeah in order for it to really be you know it's automatically shortened by the nature of of a human life you know it's like uh so if it is anything longer than that it would have to be outside of humanity because i don't know historically i guess people are looking to hand things off to their kids but i don't know about their in this situation, <laughs> well, some, of the, some of these people, I mean, they clearly their desire is to materially live forever. Right. And th- that's kind of where I got the idea for the name of the book, because throughout history, people have tried to do things to live longer, whether trying to make packs with the devil or they've tried to develop an elixir of life physically, not like spiritual alchemy, but a physical elixir of life. They find this thing or Ponce de Leon, the fountain of youth. Uh, I think I mentioned that in the book, too. To, to, they find this magical elixir to extend their life. And so I call it the technological elixir because a lot of people are looking to technology to be that elixir of life, to extend their life. But I think one thing we miss is even if, like, Elon Musk and these guys came out tomorrow and said, look, we've got technology, we can live for 500 years in a machine, no problem. Do you really think that people like you and I are going to have access to that? I mean, the cost alone of a Tesla car is beyond anything I could ever imagine in my lifetime affording. I doubt I no, could, totally. I could have the maintenance that. cost is beyond my my regular reasonable income. No. <laughs> yeah, so that that's what I'm saying. Even if it existed, it's not going to be something you or I are going to have access to. Right. Yeah. Well, I I don't know. Yeah, 
I'm crossing my fingers though. I remember when I was a kid, uh, you know, I was like in my twenties or something and my dad had a Mercedes E class and it was like fancy car. And I remember realizing that his car payment and insurance was more money than I made and lived on in a month, you know, and I'm just all, oh my God. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're coming up uh, close to the end of the interview here. I want to give you a chance to tell our audience where they can find out more about you and especially where they can get their hands on your book. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, the Technological Elixir, Black Goo, Transhumanism, and Invoking AI. It's uh, over 400 pages, six by nine, so it's a massive book. And it is available along with my two other books, called Food Philosophy, a little bit of a smaller book on the food industry and uh, ingredients and things like that. And then what I would consider to be my, my life's work masterpiece, uh, a 500-plus page book, 525 pages uh, on occultism. And it, it covers everything from voodoo to uh, mythology to magic to theology to demonology. A lot of the stuff that I use for the technological elixir to break down the entertainment industry towards the end. Uh, my specialty, other than health, is really in symbolism and, and pattern recognition, uh, what I do on my show. So all those books kind of have a relationship with one another. Uh, and you can find Occult Arcana, Food Philosophy, and the Technological Elixir, along with my uh, growing show archive. I've done radio for 10 years. I've got six years of the archive up at www thesecretteachings.info and I also have some really great uh, reviews in these books from people uh, in, the, in the radio business in particular like Kev Baker, Clyde Lewis, Leo Zagami and a Mark Devlin and a handful of others who have read these books and they've given me some reviews they're in the book and they're also on the website so you can see what they say uh, and then again the archive is there and that's uh, usually uh, the major method by which we uh, support our show to get it on the air five nights a week on the Fringe FM. All right. Uh, thank you for being on the show. You've been listening to Ryan Gable. We've been talking again about his book, The Technological Elixir, and you can find out where to get that by, uh, if you didn't have a chance to take notes, visit us at radiowasteland.us, and we will make sure that you get there. <laughs>